Well, the Apostle Peter, actually better said, the Lord God through the Apostle Peter has a final word uh, to convey to the church before his death. That word has been sovereignly preserved for us uh, through the word that is uh, there on your laps, uh, the Bible itself. So I'm going to invite you to turn with me to 2 Peter chapter 3. Remember, the, the apostles ramped up over the deception uh, that's happening in the church, sensuality of these false fishermen uh, that have uh, infiltrated into the church and smuggling in their ideas. There's a potential for spiritual trafficking within the church. Uh, and this has uh, Peter, as you can well imagine, very, very passionate about this. And he's cooling down a little bit as he closes this letter, but his desire is still the same as it was at the beginning of the letter. And that is to call to mind, call to remembrance for the church, how important it is to remember. Um, we've talked about this even as we started this letter. If you don't remember where you put your keys, you're not going to leave the house on time. And that's going to affect everything else in your day. Um, if you don't remember where you put your shoes here at the church, then you'll have to play tag stepping on the potential fire ants and rocks and sticks. Some of you do this willingly, I know, but it, it makes a difference. If you don't remember a conversation that you've had with a friend or a spouse, well, that can lead to uh, potential frustration and conflict. Uh, how important it is that we remember, how important remembering is in our spiritual lives. Remembering who God is what He has done, who we are in relationship to Him, what that means for this very present moment. And so Peter's going to emphasize in this last chapter remembering what God will do. Here's what's going to happen in the days to come. So we're, we're going to read through verse 9 uh, of chapter 3. This is now the second letter that I am writing to you, beloved. In both of them I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles, knowing this first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of His coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlook this fact, that the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God, and that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance." This is the final words of the Apostle Peter to the church. Let's pray together. Lord God, You the transcendent Creator of all things are so very imminent 
in these moments. You are near. You are with us by Your Holy Spirit and You are speaking to us through Your Word. And Lord, You have promised that You would work this Word to accomplish its purpose in us in these very moments. Lord, I pray that for each one here, for myself, that we would be receptive to Your Word. That we would be attentive, allowing You to speak and to show us how to apply this Word to our own lives. And so Lord, we ask Your help now. We ask You to move by Your Spirit in us, through us, conforming us into the likeness of our Savior. And it's in His name we pray. Amen. Peter is addressing those that he loves in the church, picking up where he started. Remember church so that so you can respond rightly to these bad ideas, empty promises of these scoffers. They may be good communicators, they may have a strong message, they may make claims, you know, science is on, on their side, aligns with them. Probably saying that Peter himself is just, you know spewing myths and fairy tales. Um, and in their lifestyle, certainly envious by those who would look on. You know, every so often I have to go into my email and empty out the spam folder. Maybe you've had to do that this last week. You get a few things into the, the spam folder. And something I've noticed, maybe you've noticed this as well, is that a lot of those spam emails look a lot like uh, the emails that you would expect. Uh, this one you know, looked like it really came from the bank that I use. Or this email looked like it, it came from an organization that I support. And so before deleting, you kind of have to pause and look at, at this, at least the, the, the title of the email and say, is this legitimate? Did, did I miss something? Because it looks pretty normal. In fact, the, these emails are designed to look that way. So that without question, you... You click on it or you open the link and then some other virus or malware is introduced before you even know what has happened. So like, like, this, like this malware, the ideas, lifestyle of these scoffers, well, it's getting harder to recognize and even harder to resist. It's, it's, so it's not even seen as, as much of a threat. It looks normal while the whole time you're know, ready to infect the gospel culture of the church and the true knowledge of the Lord Jesus. And as, you know, as life goes along, you know, the church can grow, well, impatient, even, even abandon holiness little bits at a time because of this. So to stir the church's memory, the apostle gets specific here on what these scoffers overlook and what the church simply cannot overlook. And that's how we're going to approach these verses. What is being overlooked, what can't be overlooked uh, in these last days. Where is the word of the Lord? Let it come. The prophet Jeremiah was hearing hearing those words during his prophecy. He was mocked by false teachers. speaking, Speaking a word of disaster that would come upon the people whose hearts had grown cold, abandoning the gracious law of God. Go ahead, Jeremiah. Speak your word from the Lord. We're going to go out and enjoy life while you're doing that. Isaiah endured similar criticism, speaking a word of judgment on all the earth. I want to read you a few verses from Isaiah 24. It says, Behold, the Lord will empty the earth and make it desolate. He will twist its surface and scatter its inhabitants. 
And it shall be as with the people, so with the priest. As with the slave, so with the master. As with the maid, so with her mistress. As with the buyer, so with the seller. As with the lender, so with the borrower. As with the creditor, so with the debtor. Yours shall be utterly empty and utterly plundered. The Lord has spoken this word. So predictions of the Old Testament prophets. Very clear and pretty abundant in the Old Testament. Speaking of this coming day of the Lord, exhorting God's people, the people Israel, and consequently all people through them to repent, to turn to the Lord. And yet we see there's, there's still um, those among the people of God, those in the church, who are skeptical and making fun of uh, what it says in God's Word, making fun of, of these predictions of coming judgment because honestly they're comfortable in their own selfishness comfortable in in greed and sensuality so what we heard in chapter two last week that that's spilling over here into uh, chapter three so like judah in ezekiel 12 is another example they doubt god's judgment in the words of the prophet son of man what is this proverb that you have about the land of israel saying the days grow long and every vision comes to nothing. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Like what we just read. Verse 3, that they're making these same claims of the apostles who are, are transmitting the words of Christ. I couldn't help think of this as I was you know, talking about the Sabins. Um, this work of TWR, the transmitters on, on Guam are broadcasting this message around the world. The apostles have been uniquely tuned as transmitters uh, of Christ's commands for life in the kingdom. But where's the promise of His coming? From the time of creation. From the time of the Old Testament patriarchs like Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. There's just been this ebb and flow. There's this normal rhythm to life, it seems, that really doesn't show God's power. really doesn't show His intervention in this creation. Which almost sounds silly as it comes out of my mouth to repeat it that way. Uh, because it is so convenient and so willful. Uh, Thomas Nagel, uh, he, he's a, a very respected philosopher at New York uh, University. Well, I don't think he's there anymore, but uh, himself educated at Harvard, Oxford, and Cornell. And he wrote a book called The Last Word. And here's what he said. He says, I want atheism to be true and am made uneasy by the fact that some of the most intelligent and well-informed people I know are religious believers. It isn't just that I don't believe in God. It's that I hope there is no God. I don't want there to be a God. I don't want a universe to be like that. Isn't that incredibly honest? I only hope that more people would be that honest. Um, I don't want it to be true. I hope there is, is no God. I want to live the way I want to live. Bow before the God of autonomy. But living in denial. And so... The church must call to mind what scoffers with, within the church, within its ranks, uh, and without refuse to acknowledge. Uh, think how ironic this is. I think how encouraging this, this is or should be for the church. Um, you know, if we are experiencing directly or we're, we're hearing indirectly these these type of words or this, this mocking sort of playing down the truth that we've been given. 
you know, the, the, last, the last days, they arrived with Jesus uh, and the death and resurrection of Jesus. The preacher of the Hebrews said, in these last days, God has spoken to us by His Son. In these last days, there will come times of difficulty. People will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents that go on and on from the Apostle Paul. So we're living in the last days. We've been living in the last days for centuries. But here's the irony of it. Those who deny the return of the Lord Jesus and the great and terrible day of judgment actually prove that His coming is near. That it's closer. Their scoffing is evidence of the very judgment that's being denied. Christ's return is near. So we live and we we serve in these last days. The apostle gives several arguments here against what's being denied in verses five through seven. Uh, They claim that since the beginning of creation. Well, God has been silent. He hasn't really intervened. And yet, creation itself is a megaphone to God's power and intervention. Think how many hundreds of thousands of leaves we have here on this property and how many hundreds of thousands more are coming in the next couple of months. Have you ever stopped to really examine a leaf? And just how incredible a leaf is made and all of the veins in its design. It's amazing. Or the little the wing of that fly that's buzzing around you while you're trying to, to walk. Um, truly remarkable. I think of our atmosphere and the, the gases and proportions of gases in our atmosphere that filter the sun that enable the life to, to grow and sustain life on this planet. It is utterly unique. Um, this is a few examples of how creation testifies to the intentional creator. The psalmist sings, Of old you laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. So Peter describes this some more in verse 5, using the water language, language he continues into verse 6 as part of that second argument. So in Genesis 1, we have a world that is unformed, undeveloped, in this, this watery chaos until the Creator speaks and gives it shape. So water is that instrument of creation here as Peter uses it. Water is separated. So now there's a difference between the the heaven and the earth. And then water is collected so that land is revealed. All by the very Word of God. It's by that same Word, by the use of water, that God brings judgment upon the world. So Peter, he's making, making an analogy here, a specific reference to the world. Uh, the judgment of the flood was cosmic in its proportion. Um, and he actually, he actually uses that word there, uh, cosmos for world in verse 6. But the judgment to come is going to be even greater. It's going to include the, the, the earth and the heavens. So there's a difference in scope here is where Peter is going. The flood does not have the same scope as the fire to come. The flood anticipates an even greater judgment to come. I think it's important to note for side conversations that often use this text. 
Uh, Peter is not giving specific details on the extent of the flood here. Um, Did the water cover the whole globe as we understand it today? Or did the water cover the known world of Noah, people's animals, lands of that time? I'm sorry, that mystery is still there with this passage. Um, It's not Peter's point. His point is that the flood was big and comprehensive. And that the fire of judgment to come will be even bigger and more comprehensive. All by the word and will of the Creator God. So no matter how, many, how much it rains in Arkansas, the Gulf Coast, um, this judgment will not come through water. Um, because God covenanted in Genesis 9 that that would not happen again. Um, it will be through fire, clearly associated with Uh, with judgment in the Old Testament, a great purification, a destruction of the cosmos, and the judgment judgment of the ungodly, that's all going to happen together uh, when the king returns. So these scoffers, they deny the prediction of the prophets, and they overlook the perishing of the ungodly in judgment. And because of this, because of, of hearts hardened, Paul writes in Romans 2, Storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Um, so this, this, these scoffers living in denial of judgment, but, but that belief you know, that the world is coming to an end, that's not anything new or unusual. Um, there, the Christians and non-Christians alike believe that well, this, this world is not you know, infinite. That um, its, its resources are, are finite. It's not going to go on forever. But what Peter emphasizes here is that this end will be at the very moment that God determines. And just like the flood, at His command, you know, will there be this cleansing? Not because of you know, limited or, or running out of resources. And I, th- I think that's pretty helpful for us uh, to keep in mind. Uh, it has a direct bearing on our concern for the world we live in, on our own creation care. Um, We should be caring for the land, the animals, other people. We do this in obedience to God, um, the one who cares for His creation. But we do not care for creation out of fear that if we don't sort of do our part at the exact moment, at the exact time, then we will somehow uh, lose planet Earth prematurely. No, this world will endure until the Lord says, enough. Um, I mean, isn't that kind of a relief? Um, that we can, we can go about our creation care wisely, intently, and yet at peace. Knowing that just as we are kept by God, so this world is kept by Him until the day He's already determined. Um, so enjoy cutting the grass, feeding the animals, Work in the garden. Uh, designing that electrical grid or delivering products. We are kept. Uh, the world is kept by a sovereign uh, God. So after sharing um, what these scoffers overlook, then the apostle reminds the church what they cannot, what we cannot overlook. Uh, we know this, this day of judgment, purification by fire uh, is coming. But when is it coming? Um, we want to know. It's got to be soon, right? Look at what's happening. It has to be soon. 
I know, I know you've thought this. I know you've heard this because I've thought this. That Lord, how can, how can this not be happening soon? Look at all that's going on. Now would be a really good time to peel back the heavens, draw the curtain on all this madness. So it's God's Word here that, that calibrates my own heart, calibrates our perspective on what, what time is. Um, smiled at a picture of my daughter uh, recently. She was about two and she was standing at the front, front door and she had her hands and her nose just up against the front door peering out uh, into the front yard in expectation. You know, if you, if you tell a child that grandpa and grandma are coming to visit at, say, 3 o'clock, well, they're probably up at that door at 2.30 when we're a grandpa and grandma. Um, and they're, they're not here yet. And then at 3.02, if they can even tell what time it is, you know, we're a grandpa because something's gone wrong. They're not here. Right? The, the parents have an idea, a comprehension of time that, that children cannot yet fathom. You know, we, we have our own app on, on, on calendar. We don't have an app for God's calendar. We cannot comprehend the sovereign timeline of God. Where a day is like a thousand years, a thousand years like a day, as Peter uh, alludes to Psalm 90 that we've heard this morning. Okay? And it doesn't mean that the next 24 hours are actually a thousand years on God's calendar. And two days from now will be 2,000 years. No. It's an, uh, it's an analogy. What seems like a crazy long time for us. Could be a year. That's a long time for us. Ten years. That's a really long time in our mortal lifespan. It, it, it hardly registers as a blip on God's calendar. Um, our God is eternal. Uh, he, is, he doesn't change over time. He's not weakened by time. He's transcendent over the way which we understand time. So we're in, in the last days. Jesus is coming soon. But just because it hasn't happened in the last thousand years or two thousand years doesn't mean it's not happening. It's going to happen. As we get older, we forget things. God doesn't get older. He doesn't forget things. It can be hard to imagine. We may be the young church in 2020. You ever thought about that? God could just be getting started. We are a child with our faces up against the glass. Waiting with little comprehension of God's timeline. If the Lord does not experience time in the way we do, then He cannot be slow in fulfilling His promise. Where is He? Why is this unfulfilled? Doesn't God see what is going on? You know, why, why hasn't everything outside of California, burned yet. Um, because unlike me, folks, unlike you, God is patient. He is patient. We're just starting our reflection on the fruit of the Spirit in small groups. Children, students, remember last week we talked about where that fruit is found? Um, what that fruit is? Love, joy, peace, Patience. I know there's five more. That's too long of a sermon. Patience. Our God is patient. Along with, with every other part of that fruit, He is complete patience. Perfect patience. He is patient with His church, desiring all who belong to Him, all whom He has called, 
to turn to him in repentance and faith. And as that, that verse moves on, that, that patience really extended to all people. And, and maybe, maybe as we read that, you felt the tension. There is a real tension there in verse 9. A tension between the love and the, the patience of God and His sovereign decree over all things. Peter's use here is very similar to the prophet Ezekiel. For I have no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the Lord God. So turn and live. The heart of God may desire that all people, all of His image bearers, would turn to Him in faith, but He does not decree it. Which sounds really crazy to us. Doesn't it? This is why Arminians and Calvinists have been doing this for centuries. How can, how can a sovereign God desire something and then not make it happen? Here's where we throw up the mystery flag again because it's right here. A mystery and yet so wonderfully necessary. The love of God is true. His patience is real. His desire is sure, but that doesn't in any way overshadow or diminish His sovereignty. So that this tension maintains God's sovereign grace and our human freedom and responsibility to turn to Him. See, if God is just a, on one side, if He's just that, that sovereign taskmaster, then we're puppets. We don't have any, any freedom to choose, to turn to Him. If he's, if he's not sovereign in His decree, then God may, may be looked upon as very patient. Look at our God who is so loving and kind, but not powerful enough to save over human will. So there is the perfect and necessary tension of God's sovereignty, our responsibility to turn to Him. Um, I'll give you a little quote by J.I. Packer. He said, God loves all in some ways, and God loves some in all ways. There is a ton of doctrine in that little sentence. But it captures well the, the tension, the desire and decree of God. I'll say it again in case you want to write it down. God loves all in some ways. And God loves some in all ways. Beautiful mystery. A mystery that God's Word does not allow us to solve. A mysterious working that, that belongs to the Lord our God and we cry holy and awesome is His name. The Creator of the heaven and earth. The Holy One of Israel is so patient, so merciful toward us. So instead of thinking that He's slow to keep His promise, we should be rejoicing in His patience. Think of the God who passed before Moses on that mountain. Gracious and merciful, slow to anger. We're not slow to anger. We're, we're quick to pass judgment. Not so for our Creator. And the Lord's slowness in bringing judgment upon the world, bringing the fire that we've just read about, His patience means salvation. Maybe for, for one more person today, because God is patient. One more who would know His love in all ways. 
bow the knee in repentance and faith because He's given us one more day in the way that we understand days. We must not despise the mercy of our God patiently waits for us to turn to Him. So just consider your own journey here. Consider your own story. Are we not grateful for the patience of God? How many times have you maybe thought about what God has said, thought about the Gospel? How many times have you sort of started, stopped, and started again in coming to the Lord? Turning your life over to Him. How often have you come under the hearing of God's Word and yet resist the message of forgiveness and hope in Christ? Peter, Peter recognized that the Apostle Paul was hard to understand at times. There was, there was absolutely no confusion over the mercy and patience of God. Now is the favorable time. Now is the time of salvation. So let's, let's return to Him. Believing resting in the abundance of God's love for us in Christ. He is so very patient, and we praise Him. Let's pray together. Lord God, that is our prayer of praise, that You are a God of grace and mercy, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, and You are a patient God. We thank You for this hour, for this day of Your patience and kindness to men. Lord, You have showered us with Your kindness in the Lord Jesus, in whose life we are hidden. And Lord, as, as we anticipate and welcome this great and terrible day of, of coming fire, Lord, we pray that it would come soon, that our King would return, that we would be restored, the consummation of Your kingdom would come in full. Oh, come Lord Jesus. Until then, Lord, may we wait, oh, with but a fraction of the patience of You, our God. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.